Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Athletic Hockey Show. Welcome back to a Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. It's Ian Mendes, Julia McKenzie with you for the next hour. We're going to chat all things Hall of Fame as uh, the induction uh, ceremonies will take place here on Monday. We'll bounce around the NHL, look at some surprising uh, stories. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll chat uh, with uh, a woman by the name of Teresa Bailey, who is uh, part of a, a brand new book out called Hockey Moms. Uh, she interviewed uh, Connor McDavid's mom, Austin Matthews' mom, the Chuck Brothers' mom. Uh, anyway, it's it's a it's a it's a great read and a look at uh, some unique hockey stories. So Teresa's going to drop by the pod a little bit later. We'll hand out our Jack Adams Award of the Week. So we got a lot to get to here, my man Julian. But I got to uh, Julian. I got to start this off. Okay. Yes. Got to start off this Monday show with a personal anecdote from last night. Okay. So we're recording this on Monday. I'm in Toronto mm-hmm. for the Hall of Fame uh, weekend. Now you know I'm a big Dallas Cowboys fan, right? Yes. Yes. You know that the athletic uh, senior NHL writer Pierre Lebrun is also a big Dallas Cowboys fan. Very Your other aware host, of that. Chris Johnson, is also a Dallas Cowboys fan. You, you're, you're, you, guys you, are, know that, you guys must be all miserable together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so here's the thing. So Lebrun sends me a text on the weekend, says, hey, Ian, are, are, are you coming down to Toronto for the Hall of Fame induction weekend? If you are, come by my place. We're, uh, I'm going to have some people over. We'll just watch some NFL or whatever. And he's like, you know, we're going to start with Cowboys Packers and we just kind of hang out. I'm like, hey, this is this is great, right? Thomas Drance, who's here, comes to the Vancouver Canucks. Drance was going over. I was like, yeah, abs- count me in. I'll go, right? That's, that's so, a hangout. Okay. So I'm running around covering this Hall of Fame Legends game. I use the term game very loosely. Okay. So this was at Scotiabank Arena on Sunday. Julian... This is, you know, they like Matt Sundin and Daniel Alfredson and the Sedins and Wendell Clark and Lindros. They're all out there playing, but it's not really a, it's like a, it's like the Harlem Globetrotters, right? Like they're like one of those, no one's really taking it seriously. You know, when you see the Globetrotters play, you've never seen the Globetrotters play, have you? One of my, one of my <laughs> dreams, it's, it's weird to say dream, but one thing I've, I had always wanted to do as a child and I never got that opportunity was to watch the Harlem Globetrotters play. They would always come around. Did they never come Montreal. through Montreal? 
Yeah, they. But here's the thing: not only would they always come around, they would always come around like early April, and like my birthday is around that time. And like, just for whatever reason, it just never, just never worked out that way, where I was able to watch the Harlem Globetrotters. So one day, I'm just before my time on Earth is done, I will watch the Harlem Globetrotters in person. Oh no, I'm just picturing little Julian sitting on his, you know, on his porch around his birthday time, <laughs> thinking it. Ah, they got Damn. it. They, somebody, somebody got me the Globetrotters tickets. This is the Damn. year. This and he's just waiting on the porch. Happen, brother. Yeah. Damn. And nothing so- happens. Socks again. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so this anyway. thing is like a loosey-goosey game. But I got to be there because there's, you know, there's some people speaking after the game. But I tell LeBron, look, I'm going to finish up with this. I'm going to race over. I'll take an Uber to your place. Watch the game. So I jump in the Uber, get to LeBron's place. Cowboys are up 28-14. And I'm like, yeah, man, this is great. We're going to go watch the Cowboys win together, whatever. Well, I show up. The Packers outscore the Cowboys 17-0. And I'm not sure I'll ever be invited to watch a Cowboys game with oh. Pierre LeBron again. That's what I think. Oh, no. Did you curse the Cowboys? Yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> no. I think sucks. he's going to have a bad association with me and the Dallas Cowboys. I think he may never watch a game with me again. Oh, my God. You know what's funny? I was watching that game, and I texted CJ uh, just like, man, like, your boys. And he immediately wrote back, too soon. Like, you guys are you were taking that hard. You guys are taking that loss hard. That, that's, that's tough. Oh, man. Like, because, what is you it know, with for hockey years, media members and liking the Dallas Cowboys? I don't know. I it's don't weird. It's it. a weird thing. But, like, you know, for years, like, so, so Sean McIndoe and I, Down Goes Brown, we do the Thursday edition of the podcast. And mm-hmm. we always say... How come we've never gotten the invite to Pierre LeBron's cottage? You know, you see these tweets in the summertime of all these writers, I'm at LeBron's cottage. McAdoo and I are like, man, we're not that far away. You know, we're in Ontario, you know, kind of raising our arms, nothing. But I'm like, okay, this is the first step to a cottage invite is NFL Sunday. And now I kind of feel like LeBron's going to have a bad association with me. He's like, that guy's jinxy. I'm not inviting jinxy back to another game. Well, well, here's the thing, though, right? Like, the cottage is a summer cottage. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys already won't be playing by then. So, like, there's no way unless like jinx. he ha- unless he invites you, and it happens to be around like the Hall of Fame game, which is like <laughs> near the end in of August, the summer. right? Yeah, yeah, in August. Then, like, Pierre LeBron is so dead set on you not being around for the Hall of Fame game. I mean, look, you are still steps ahead from getting that invite. Uh, to to Pierre LeBron's cottage. I don't know when I'll ever get that invitation. He's, you know, we've, you know, I see him around, and he's a good dude just to, you know, hang around. I think he's a he's an April baby, just like I am, and and all that too. But um, actually, do we, wait, wait, actually, hold on, hold, just stop, just wait, stop right I, there. I think he's no, the no. same birthday as me. You, you need to stop right there. How would you know Pierre LeBron's birth? Like, how do you know that he's an April birthday? I think he's I wouldn't the, know. I think he, no, he's the same birthday as me, I think. I have to double check this. I think him and I have the same birthday. Do you think little Pierre got to go to a Globetrotters game like on his 12th birthday? Yeah, I think he would. A- April 11th, apparently. Yep, that's my birthday. We have the same birthday. You guys are birthday buddies? We're birthday buddies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to do with this information. What other celebrities are on your birthday? You know, you ever look up these things and you're like... Yes. You see the birthdays oh, yeah. you have? So what, yeah. what do we got for celebrities? Like ho- in hockey world or? Not a lot of crazy celebrities, but um, uh, Vancouver Canucks legend and uh, I believe one-time Montreal Canadian Trevor London 
a one-time New York Islander, Trevor Linden. Trevor Linden. One-time Washington Capitol, Trevor Linden. Yes. Uh, former uh, Tottenham Hotspur star, Delhi Alley, also has uh, April 11th as uh, the same birthday. I'm trying to think of other celebs who have that day. Um, Joss Stone. Anyone remember the singer Joss Stone? Uh, Top Gear, Jeremy Clarkson, also uh april 11th that's pretty much it unless i'm i'm missing yeah that's that's basically it april 11th for whatever reason is not the most remarkable birthday i guess oh okay summer walker the r&b singer is also april 11th that's interesting i didn't know that um yeah it's just april 11th just for whatever reason you know you and lebron Okay, that's so it. the next time they – that's right around the time the playoffs start. Uh, you and LeBron need to get together, have a joint birthday party at like Chuck E. Cheese or something, you know? <laughs> two of you together. Don't you think I'm a little too grown for Chuck E. Cheese? Pierre, I don't know, but what about me? <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Just I'm one kidding, chance kidding, to see you guys at Chuck E. Cheese uh, would be gold. You know, uh, for me, so I'm a late December birthday. December 28th, yes. to be exact. So when you have a late December birthday, there's not a lot of hockey people who share that birthday because, as you know, when you're born in late December, um, it's you're usually one of the youngest, smallest, whatever, right? You're you're usually disadvantaged physically growing up. Like it's it's it, you know you've seen all the studies that oh January birthdays are better for you know hockey. Yeah, I read out I read a bit of outliers. Yeah, exactly. Like that's the Gladwell stuff. Anyway, though, but Raymond Bork has the same birthday as me. But I hated that as a kid because I was a Habs fan as a, as a kid. So I was like, the, what, are you telling me the only NHLer of like consequence plays for the team that I might hate the most as a kid in, in Ray oh, Bork? That must be so tough. But that being yeah. said, though, like as someone who, uh, I mean, I was not really around for the heyday of Raymond Bork, my one memory of Raymond Bork is him doing the greatest cup raise of all time. When he yeah. lifts the Stanley Cup of the Colorado For me, like, it's one thing to just watch him lift the cup with the Colorado Avalanche. I think for the full maximum effect, you need to watch the ESPN Gary Thorne call of Raymond Bork lifting it. You hear yes. him describe the cup, yes. and then you hear him say, after 22 years... Raymond Bork. I remember when I was interning for for the Syracuse Crunch, uh, the AHL affiliate, during my my one year there, living there for grad school. Um, the play by play guy at the time for the Syracuse Crunch was a man was a man by the name of Dan Duva, who has since moved on to call uh, Vegas Golden Knights games on radio. He grew up uh, a New Jersey Devils fan, and there was another intern, a good friend of mine by the name of Logan Grossman, also New Jersey Devils fans. Uh, Raymond Bork won that cup at the expense of the New Jersey Devils. And I remember talking about the cup raise and reciting like Gary Thorne calling it. And as I'm like describing it, I'm like saying, and after 22 years, Raymond Bork, they both got mad and they're like, stop it. Stop, stop it. Shut up. Stop that. That like, yeah, but that's how how iconic that call is. The Devils won the cup the year before they won it. Yeah. They have Two years about. later, like, settle down. It wasn't like that was your only <laughs> chance to win a cup. Like, come on, guys. There are people There are people on this earth right now who have never seen their team win a playoff series, let alone a Stanley Cup. Like, it's all good, Devils fans. Yeah. Do, do you remember? So Raymond Bork wins the cup 
in Colorado in the summer of like whatever spring summer of 2001 and mm-hmm. that year he takes the cup back to Boston like they had a parade for him in Boston because that you know that's where he was that's about the bug of his career and I'll never forget you'll laugh at this I swear I swear this happened I'm not making this up but Ray Bork takes the cup back to Boston and there's a huge parade and a rally and he's at the microphone and if you remember the sitcom Everybody Loves Raymond yeah right was was big at the time Ray yeah. Bork has the cup in front of all these Bruins fans in Boston. And he says, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but it's something along the lines of, he gets up to the microphone and he's like, everybody loves Raymond, but Raymond loves you. And the place Aww. goes bananas. I'm like, this is just pure cheese. Everybody cheesy. loves Raymond, but Raymond loves you. That is so like, cheesy. It's good for crazy. Boston. Great for yeah. Boston. That's a city that has never won anything in its life. I'm I know, sure they, they have will it, hold on. Well, they'll hold on to Raymond Bork winning that cup for a long, but you know long what, though? time. At the time, at the time in 2001, it's before the Patriots dynasty, before the Red Sox, before the Celtics yes. in 08, before the. Right? I know. So there was a little bit of a drought there. I, I, Sark, I, I, my, I, I don't, it. I did, I don't know if you realize, but that comment about Boston was dripping in sarcasm. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, you know what? I think. What was really cool, too, for me, just to get back to the Hall of Fame stuff. So Lanny mm-hmm. McDonald is in the building yesterday, and he's like the chair of the Hall of Fame. And I stopped him to ask him a couple of questions. Um, and I don't know if you've ever done this. Have you ever done this with, with a, a player or somebody who you grew up? Like, so when I was in the sixth grade, Julian, uh, or sorry, I would have been in the seventh grade. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens were my favorite team. Yes. And they played the Calgary Flames in the 1989 Stanley Cup final in which yes. Lanny McDonald pops out of the penalty box. It's like this old man takes the puck, scores a crucial goal against Patrick Waugh, kind of ices the game for Calgary. And so he's in the Hall of Fame thing, hallway yesterday. I flag him down, ask him a, co- a couple questions about Daniel Alfredson. And then I say to him after we wrap up, I, I'm like, just, I just need you to know, you crushed my childhood when you came out of that penalty box. And... <laughs> And he laughed, and he's like, wow. He's like, if you were a Habs fan, that was just payback for 1986. He's like, you, you broke my heart in 1986. So he's like, we're even. But have you ever done that with like, like somebody that you've started to cover or see now? You're like, you know what? Like, and you, you've kind of, I, I always debate, like, do I say, like, do I say, like, ooh, I was your fan, or you killed me? And I find more often than not, the guys love it. Absolutely you know- love it. The closest person I could think of as someone who grew up in Montreal and grew up a Habs fan once upon a time, getting to cover Milan Lucic in Calgary is such a weird experience for me. I don't know if people uh, read the Q&A I did with him uh, a couple of weeks ago, but like considering the time I was going to – it was about like a 10-minute conversation. Like I knew I wanted to do a Q&A with him. I knew I had to ask him at some point about being in that Canadian's – Bruins rivalry because those were some of the best games to watch in like the 2010s and even parts of the 2000s as well and like while you had the the feeling of with Lanny McDonald of like oh man you crushed my dreams I definitely remember being like a like a younger hockey fan and just being like I can't stand Milan Lucic and that one playoff series where Dale Weiss got the best of him and they're jawing at each other. In the, was there in something in the, the, handshake, in the handshake handshake line? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. were they were going at it in the handshake right. line. Like I'm, I remember thinking like, yeah, like you you take that Milan. But like listening to to Milan do like media veils with us and and getting to talk to him in that one on one, like he comes across as a very 
I don't know. Like I, I, I kind of, I kind of like him as a as a personality. It seems at least just from from talking to him at the very least. And like I didn't get to say like, oh well, I grew up like. I kind of mentioned at the beginning, like, yeah, you know, it's kind of weird seeing you, like, when I was more of, like, a fan and and seeing you when you came up. Because, like, he started with the Bruins when he was really young to now where he's, like, he's approaching, like, the year 30, year 35 of his life. And he's going to be, you know, all this other stuff with Milan. And, like, he's been in the league for how many years? Like, I had to mention sort of at the beginning, like, yeah, like, I can't believe you're at this point where you've played, like, 1,100 NHL games. But I didn't get to say, like, you know, like, man, I grew up hating you, dude. And I don't know if I ever will. I don't know if that is, I always debated like whether or not that uh, like one, if it's professional two, if the players even care, because like, I'm they, sure like, like, I, I don't like some guys might, but like, I don't know, especially if you're in the locker room now and you just have to deal with the media people all the time. I would imagine if I brought that up with Milan, it'd be like, yeah, whatever, dude, like so many people hate me. I don't care. <laughs> but like, I, I don't know. Maybe if he's like in a couple of years, if he retires and I run into him, like, dude, like covering you in Calgary was cool. Uh, but yeah, I really didn't like you growing up. I think guys like that. I really do. I think they, they, I, I, I bet you he would, he would appreciate that. You know, it's, but it's, it's crazy. Like, you know, you have these moments, right. Where you look at it and you're like, wow, I'm covering Milan Lucic, who I grew up, you know, watching or, or hating. So how about this for me? Like you want to talk about the craziness. So Monday night, I'll be there for Daniel Alfredson's hall of fame induction. Um, you know, the first NHL player I ever interviewed, Julian, was Daniel Alfredson. Man. I was a Carleton journalism student. And for a class assignment, I had to write a feature on somebody. And this shows you how old the story was. It was in, in, in 1995. And I, was a, I think I was 18 or 19 years old. And I, I sent a fax. That's how old this story was. Oh, my From God. the Carleton School of Journalism... I sent a fax to the Ottawa Senators PR department requesting an interview with Daniel Alfredson for my class project. And I picked Alfredson because I thought, well, I'm not going to ask for Alexi Yashin or Alex Day because they're these big stars. They'll say no. So let me ask for this kind of unknown. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Time out, time out, time out. It, I, I get that, you know, his career didn't work out the way a lot of Sens fans would have liked it. I'm sure for him too. It is still kind of funny to think, oh no, I'm not gonna ask for Alex Dagg because he's this big star. He he was, Sorry. he was he, he, I, you I know. know, he was big high draft pick and all yeah. that. It just just kind of unfortunate with how his career went, but it is kind of funny. So I asked for Daniel Alfredson because like this guy's a young Swedish player. He's only played like 25, 30 games in the league. And they granted my request. And so I took Man. a bus, took two uh public I took public chance took the bus. Went out, met this guy named Daniel Alfredson, and uh, and I interviewed him for a class project. And now here I am, some whatever twenty six, twenty seven years later, and I'll be there for his Hall of Fame induction. It's a really cool moment for me uh, to be able to see this kind of full. But it also makes me feel old. I'm like, wait a minute, the first guy I interviewed is now in the Hall of Fame. That's amazing. I yeah. have to think about who's the first NHL player. I interviewed. I might need to think about that a little bit more. But I, I'll say with like Alfredson and, and the Sedins and, and Luongo, like these are guys that I remember like watching like as a fan. Like I was, I was actually funny enough. I was talking, I was mentioning the story about the Sedin twins uh, to a few friends of mine, and this was April two thousand ten. I want to say, uh, funny enough, mentioned funny enough with my birthday. 
uh, I got invited to a house party with some high school friends. And it just so happened that, you know, the at midnight, it would be my birthday, but also a friend of mine who was there and whose girlfriend was like hosting the party, like it would be their birthday. So everyone's kind of celebrating him. I'm like, you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to cool out here. I'm just chilling. And, you know, it was late. Like we had watched the Canadians play that night and they lost. They didn't make the playoffs that year. And then we're all just doing our thing. And there's a random Canucks Flames game that's on. And like, you know, close to midnight, all these teenagers just trying to have a good time, enjoying the party and all that. And this amazing play materializes where Henrik Sedin like taps this pass to Daniel Sedin before he goes to the net and does the little tweener and beats, I think Mika Kiprasov was in net for the Flames. Everybody in that basement went off. Everyone lost their minds. I remember watching that be like, holy crap. This is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And we didn't give a damn about the Vancouver Canucks at that time. But for me, like one of my coolest childhood memories is like, you know, going to like this one high school party with friends and seeing the Sedin twins come together on this magical play. Like I I think they will always have my appreciation for how they were able to come together as 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 twins. The fact that they were drafted together, they did pretty much everything together and they're able to go into the Hall of Fame together. That I think is one of the cool things. I get people are going to debate whether or not they're at the top of the Hall of Very Good. I know Daniel Alfredson will get some of that as well. Um but for me just I I really think it was cool. Uh, seeing the Sedin twins, knowing what they've gone through and knowing how much they've meant to the Vancouver Canucks organization, uh, get to the Hall of Fame together. The same deal for Alfredson, too, a guy who did really well with the Senators back in the day. And it was cool seeing them go on that cup final run as well. And Roberto Luongo, of course. I mean, Strombone. Yeah, Strombone. Um, you know, for me, I, I think as we reach a crossroads in hockey culture, I do think that there should be some value and weight put on the character of the people going into the Hall of Fame. And this is why I want to tell a real quick anecdote about Please. Alfredson because I think this stuff matters. And, and for the people that think that Alfie belongs statistically in the Hall of Very Good, okay. Like, I'll listen to that argument. I understand it. I'm not, I'm not you know, uh, l- looking at that argument and, and just dismissing it. I see it. I understand it. But there's something to be said for the character and the integrity of somebody who is captain for an NHL team for – uh, 13 years. That's a long time to be a captain in one market. And the first ever European captain to take his team to the Stanley Cup final. That had never been done until Alfredson. And he took them on his back. That He scored 14 goals. But the thing I'll always remember, Julian, and I think about this, I, I put a little tweet th- thread out about this, but I want to share this with our listeners. But, you know, when, when I think back to, like, I broke in in the 2001-2002 season as a reporter. So 21, 20 years ago, basically. Broke in as a reporter. I think you could count on one hand the number of, you know, we call us visible minorities or people of color um, mm. that were covering the NHL at the time. In the entire league, I think you could count on one hand the, the number of people of color who were covering the NHL. And, you know, I never thought about it twice because of the way that Daniel Alfredson and, and I think Jacques Martin probably deserves some credit to the head coach. But they created a culture there that never made me feel like I was an outsider. Never made me feel like, ooh, like that that guy's different. I never one time, Julian, felt different in that room. And I never thought about that until, you know, very recently I've thought about, you know, I think we've done a lot of reflecting about 
the way that the game has gone. And I feel really fortunate that I broke in in my early 20s and Daniel Alfredson was the captain of the team that I covered because he set the tone. And I don't think he would have stood for, you know, the mistreatment of reporters. And that includes women. I, there was, we had, uh, you know, Patricia Ball, people might remember uh, her from covering the score, um, the senators on, you know, the, the television network, the score. I think Trish was, was treated with a ton of respect. I don't want to speak for her, but I, I felt like she was. Um, this wasn't a time where women and people of color really covered the NHL very much. And yet we felt like we had an equal seat at that table in that room because Daniel Alfredson set the tone. And then, you know, the rest of them, Jason Spezza and Chris Neal and Phillips and Redden and, you know, Chara, whoever else you want to put on the list. I think they followed that guy's lead. I think they were like, this is how we treat people around here. We don't treat people differently because of, uh, you know, the way they look. And, you know, I wrote an article last week, Julian, on, on Alfie. And I don't know that a lot of people know this about him, but his mom, when he was a teenager, was diagnosed with MS, multiple sclerosis. And Alf, Alfie spent a lot of time talking to me about, you know, the impact that that had on him, that he kind of grew up with a lot of empathy for other people and understanding that, uh, you know, you need to champion underdogs in your life. And that always stuck with him that, you know, people would make fun of his mom for walking funny before she was diagnosed and put in a wheelchair. People would say to him, um, you know, why is your mom drunk in the middle of the day? And, you know, uh, his answer was, you know, she's going through some stuff, but people would whisper. And uh, anyway, long story short, I think he grew up when you grow, the way he explained it to me is when you grow up with a mom who's in a wheelchair, you have a different way of looking at the world. You look at it in a more inclusive way, in a more open way, and you champion causes that maybe other athletes don't do. So that that's why I think I'll always have a ton of respect. And I want the listeners to understand that, like that that's part of it, that this guy set the tone in Ottawa for more than a decade. And he was the face of this franchise for a reason. And I, and I hope people can appreciate that. I, I suspect... He's going to give one of those great speeches on Monday night. That's going to be from the heart. And I bet you, Julian, he'll talk about things that, like, I, he told me he's going to have a real hard time talking about his mom. That's going to be a tough one for him because of uh, the fact that she passed away uh, due to COVID in, uh, in, uh, in January of 2021. Now, how about this? Okay, I'm going to put a bow on this. Mm -hmm. So Daniel Alfredson in Ottawa, Julian, for years, the fans in Ottawa, when the clock in the first period would get to 11-11 because he wore number 11, okay? When the clock would get to 11-11, the crowd in Ottawa would start to count down from 11-11 down to 11 minutes for 11 seconds. They'd 11, 10, 9, 8, right down to 11 minutes. They would start an Alfie chant. Alfie, Alfie, Alfie. That, that's the last three or four years in Ottawa for him, okay? So the reason why I'm telling you this is when Daniel Alfredson's mom passed away, in January of 2021, Daniel couldn't go to Sweden because of the COVID restrictions. Daniel had to be on FaceTime as his mom passed away. She had COVID. They decided to basically unplug the machine and she took her last breath. She passed away. The time of death, Julian, for his mom was 11-11 in Ottawa. The time of death for his mom was 11-11 in Ottawa. And I asked him about this because I thought I had heard this story. I didn't want to say it. 
I'd asked him about this. And he's like, well, it makes you wonder. I think it's a coincidence. I talked to his brother, Henrik. Henrik's like, nope, it's not a coincidence. That's my mom sending a message. And it's, he's like, I'm not a religious, his brother said, I'm not a religious guy, but I believe in that. And I, I'm blown away. Like, to me, that's one of the most remarkable things uh, that I've ever heard, that, that his mom would have passed away at 11-11 Ottawa time. No? I'm speechless. Yeah. I, I, I'm just speechless. Just at the way that you've described Daniel over these last few minutes, uh, from just the type of human being that he is to uh, what his, he had to endure with, with his mom suffering from MS until the very end with, with COVID like that. Wow. Um, obviously you got to cover him for, for, for a long time. And I only got to really watch him on, on hockey night in Canada and, and on TV. So I do not know the type of person that he is. I think for anyone listening who had no idea about the person that he is or anything that he might have gone through, first off, you should read Ian's latest on, on, on Daniel. Um, but also just, Wow, like that. I'm sorry, I, I wish I had more to say. I'm just floored and absolutely amazed. What a what a guy. What a great characterization of a person. Yeah, he's he's got, you know what, uh, Julian, best way to summarize it, and I, and I think people in Vancouver would say the same about the Sedins. They just have a moral compass. And it always, that needle always seems to be pointing in the right direction. And at a time in which I think our sport is really at a crossroads, we need to lean on the Sedins and the Alfredsons and the, you know, the, the people like that that are just the needles always pointed in the right direction. So I'm, I'm really happy for him uh, tonight. But like I said, it's going to make me feel old, man. Guy that I interviewed as a Carlton student is going into the Hall of Fame. So, so this will happen to you at some point when, like, I'm trying to think who would be the guy for you. I mean, Lucic won't be the Hall of Famer. Um, you know, but at some point, Man, some I mean, Cole Caulfield is going to go to the Hall of Fame. At some point, you're going to be like, I saw that guy with the Laval rocket, and uh, <laughs> that might you're be, gonna be I like, mean, I, yeah, that might yeah. be close enough. I might be, yeah. I mean, yeah, him or or Nick Suzuki, or or I guess here if um any of the Flames prospects that they have coming up end up turning into into hall of famers or, or anything like that. Right. Like it's uh, or if Jonathan Huberto turns himself into a hall of fame player over the next few years of his contract or, or, or uh, I don't know, just, yeah, there's a potential for a lot, but uh, yeah, I'm nowhere, I'm nowhere near that. Like it's still, I'm, it's, I still, it's still pretty cool to be in a locker room and interview players and be like, Oh yeah. Like I, like I watched you like years ago, yeah. like just on a TV, but like now I'm in a locker room with you, like asking you dumb questions. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, it's very surreal. But for a guy like Daniel Alfredson, um, to get to the point where he's in the Hall of Fame, uh, that is really cool to see the Sedin twins as well. We got to show some love to Roberto Luongo too, a guy who, oh man, um, time. one of the best goalies of his time. The 2010 Olympics for me, uh, that I think is the best of Roberto Luongo. Uh, that that for me in terms of the best of him, that's that for me is it. That tournament is it. Like this. Like he he didn't start that tournament as the starter, but he ended up being the starter, and he came up huge in some big games for Team Canada. I think there's the semifinal. There was the one game against Slovakia near the yeah. end, the big save on Pavel. I think that was the quarter quarterfinals. He was money semifinal, and then obviously to get to the gold medal game, and you know you win in overtime. It's 
Um, okay, here's a question for you. I, I, I mean, I yeah. saw Roberto. I saw Roberto at the Hall of Fame, uh, you know, events on the weekend. I, I didn't talk to him because again, I'm here to talk to Alfredson. Yeah. If you think, if you think, if you injected Roberto Luongo with truth serum, and asked him, which would you rather have, the gold medal from 2010, or the next year you win the Stanley Cup with Vancouver? You could only have one of those two things. What do you think he would want? One, I don't know if you do. You have to inject him with truth serum. I feel like he I don't would know. be honest enough to say that. Yeah, the maybe. Same with the answers. He, he well, comes what across do you think as his... one of those people who would. Um... What would. Like, what would it be for you? Would you like? Would Oof. you rather win a Stanley Cup for like a, a a Canadian market that's been starved for a championship, or win a gold medal for Canada? But now you do it on home ice, right? So, man, I think I might. I might take the. Here's I the might thing, take the Stanley right? Cup. I I, I like, hate to say that. I think I might like, take the cup. This is a very difficult situation because, like, I get it. Like, Canada win the gold medal in men's hockey. Like, that, that ha- that's happened, you know. But there's something about that 2010 Olympics, which if you look at it in its totality, considering how dominant Canada was in every other sport at those Olympics, at the most gold medals of anyone at that 2010. And on the very last day, them hosting the Olympics, they win in men's hockey, not just in some blowout win over the United States, their arch rival, an overtime winning goal, a goal that will be played for years on end. Like people of a certain age will look at Paul Henderson uh, in, in 1972. My generation will look back at Sidney Crosby's golden goal, and they still do. Like, I mean, you get a gold medal out of that? Like that means, and, and and Roberto Luongo wasn't just the backup. He 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 emerged as the starter. That means something. I mean, maybe it's because I don't come from the Vancouver uh, market. Maybe my maybe that's why I I I I don't know. I I see a silver lining for for Roberto and him not winning a Stanley Cup, but still having a gold medal to his name and a really good gold medal. At that, that's not just some little gold medal where you were a third string goalie and you didn't really have to do anything to get it. Like, Roberto Luongo stood on his head and he was the man and he helped Team Canada earn that gold medal. Like, that means something. That at least should soothe the pain. But man, that 2011 Stanley Cup, I really wanted Vancouver to win. I I mean, growing up as a Canadiens fan, I did not want Boston to win. Hence the Milan Lucic discussion. But like, man, just, you know, that's a really tough question. I, I, it really just because you know what's funny like I really feel you know if you end your career with like a gold medal at the Olympics and that goes for almost any other sport like I think of Charles Barkley in like the NBA he does not have a championship and Shaq likes to poke fun at him but he won a gold medal with the USA Dream Team like that should still mean something like that it, like winning at the Olympics we see that as, and I get it some people look into you know there's amateurs and pros doing all that like you know participating in all that that we still see the Olympics as like the peak of international competition and representing your country and putting on for your country to show that you're the best at something. And that matters. Fine. You know, we look at the Stanley cup differently. It's the Holy grail, probably the best trophy to win in sports, but damn it, winning for your country and, and being a reason why you win for your country should be seen with, I mean, it's seen with a lot of reference and respect, but like, I don't know. I feel if I'm Roberto Luongo, fine. You want to get at me at the fact I didn't win that Stanley Cup in 2011? That's your right. But I have a 2010 Olympic gold medal that will also stand the test of time and not just as some as some random Olympics, 
as one of the most enduring, long-lasting, yeah. iconic Olympic moments of all time. One of the most iconic Olympic moments, just sporting moments in Canada, period. So I think even if you don't have that Stanley Cup ring, I mean, look, you're going to have a Hall of Fame ring and you have that gold medal. I think that still should mean the world to Roberto Luongo. Maybe I'm copping out of that question, but I don't know. I feel like if you're not going to win the Stanley Cup, this is still pretty good. Oh, yeah. Now, you said, look, Roberto wasn't a third string goalie. He he won the cup. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry, won, won the, the gold, gold medal. medal. Won the gold medal. Now I'm starting to think. So, like, I, I know that in Sochi in 2014, Carey Price was obviously the, the dominant goalie. Mike Smith was, like, the third goalie on Team Canada in 2014. Okay? Here's my question for you. If you win a gold medal, but you're the third string goalie, like, where do you put that in your house? Like, where, like, are you, is the gold medal, I, I personally would be putting it, like, right in front of my, like, right on the mantle. I'd be in glass case. Everybody that comes in, I'm like, hey, I was part of the gold medal winning team. That's just me. <laughs> I'm telling everybody. Yeah, I would. Hell yeah. If I was like right? the, that's if what I was I'm like a, if I was a healthy scratch every night, but I still exactly. got a gold medal out of it. Look, it's not like I sat on my ass the whole time. I helped them boys practice. Yes. <laughs> like, like, look, uh, look, PK Subban probably has that gold medal somewhere. He played like one game the entirety of that Olympics. Like, it's a gold yeah, they medal. They dressed like seven defensemen a couple times, right? It's a gold medal. You know, like, celebrate it. It's just like if for a Stanley Cup ring. If you were a black ace, do black aces get cup rings? No. I, you, there, no there's a don't. criteria so that's where a good example. either you have to play, I think it's 40 regular season games as a player or one game in the final. I, that used to be the rule. Like, in order to get, yeah. um, to get your cup ring, it was one game in the final or there was like a set number of of regular season games you had to play, and, or, and then I think then I also think it could go to a vote. Like at the end of the year, like the team could vote. Like let's say a guy played thirty nine games, was a big part of your team, but something happened. Like you can that the players I think could vote on should they get a ring and a share of the like you know. So there's that that element to it, but there, there is a, there is a bit of a criteria there. Okay, fair. I don't know if I think you. Have, I think if you get it, I think. If you want to explain to people the caveat of you not playing as much, fine. But if you have the pedal and you have the or the ring, you have no reason not to flaunt it. As far as I'm concerned, you yeah. will always Mike Smith will always have gold medalist to his name. I'll be quite honest with you. I completely forgot he was on that Sochi team. Carey Price was that dominant. I, I think he might have even been the third goalie, Mike Smith. I don't even know who the second goalie was, but we never even saw that guy. Mark on um, my my guess without looking. I don't think it would have been Flurry. No, because remember that was in the window where F remember Flurry kind of like melted down in the 2012 playoffs against Philly, and then in 2013 I want to say Thomas Vokun like usurped him. I like actually, using that word. He got usurped as the actually, number one goalie. So you're, you're right. I don't think it, Flurry would have been the guy. It wasn't. It wasn't. It's it's hockey Hall of Famer Roberto Luongo. <laughs> <laughs> Roberto has two gold medals. He, he was on that team. Jeez, he was on that team, man. Yeah. So uh, okay. good on Roberto. In, in fact, I should really look back at that 2014 because probably wouldn't surprise me if it ended up being the same thing where Roberto Luongo started and then Carey Price took over. But we just remember Carey Price being dominant, and that was within that window where you know he had the the gold medal 
and then eventually went on to have the the Hart Trophy Vezina uh, winning season. Or I think it might have been the same year, or at least around the same around the same time. Like it's like Carey Price's peak as an NHL goaltender is in that window. Amazing. Yeah. I yeah. I, I did not know Roberto Luongo was on the 2014 Sochi team. See, so there. The more you know, these are things you forget. The more you know. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Julian, uh, looking forward to, to having our next guest uh, join us here. Uh, Teresa Bailey, the co-author of a book uh, that's just out uh, in the last couple of weeks, uh, Hockey Moms, The Heart of the Game, uh, co-authored well, my good buddy Terry Marcotte, longtime reporter in Ottawa, uh, is, is a co-author on this project with, with Teresa. And um, you know, they've spent, they spent a couple of years, if I'm not mistaken, kind of just gathering stories from, from uh, hockey moms, uh, some of which, uh, Julian, are you know, you would know their kids like, oh yeah, Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews and, and the Kachucks, right? Uh, but then there's a bunch of stories from uh, kids who never made it to the NHL and, and their mom's journey. And I think, you know, uh, I'm looking forward to this interview, Julian, because I think you and I, look, I, I go back to our show last week and it was one of my, the best shows I think you and I have done. I mean, you, we have only done whatever, 10 show, eight shows together on this edition of the podcast. But we were speaking about Mitchell Miller, and we were really fired up, and rightfully so. And it's been a really difficult news cycle as 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 hockey fans. And sometimes we need the dash of positivity, right? Like sometimes we need to remember that, okay, let's keep shining a light on the negativity because we have to do that and we need to be better at it. But let's also remember there are some really cool stories. Like sometimes I feel like we need to restore our faith in humanity, right, in hockey. Yeah, I, I see. I see where you're coming from with that, and I think uh, having someone like uh, Teresa Bailey, who's with us now, uh, to talk about her her latest book is probably a good example of that. Yeah, so let's 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 bring her in here, Teresa. We're we're happy to have you on here, and 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 first of all, welcome to the uh, the Monday edition of uh, the Athletic Hockey Show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's a great great way to start a Monday. Yeah. Well, listen. Let let's talk about like the idea for Hockey Moms. Uh, because I know that this is probably uh, book projects. The one thing I've learned, uh, they take years to put together, uh, not weeks or months. It's usually a, a kind of a, a long process. So walk us through uh, where the idea came from and, and how long it kind of uh, took you to, to, to kind of put this all together. Sure. Uh, it's an idea that was actually percolating, I guess, since 2010, when I started the community of Canadian hockey moms way back when, and that came out of really some trying to understand the weird things that go on in minor hockey and and making a positive out of that. I actually started that anonymously 
because I didn't really feel that I had a place to speak out about it. So it's been brewing since then. I tried to get started a couple times around 2015, 2016. I did um, several of the interviews and then just got busy. I have three kids in hockey myself and uh, run business and all those things. So it wasn't until the pandemic hit, I reached out to Terry Marcotte and uh, he had done some interviews on me around 2014 uh, around Canadian hockey moms, actually with hockey Canada at the time as well. And um it wasn't until he offered to help and I thought I would be ridiculous to not utilize uh, Terry's writing skills and everything he knows. He's been so great. So once we uh, got together, it really took off. So it's about two years of real writing and interviews. Wow. That was yeah. My next question I want to ask is is just with regards to getting some of the more higher profile names that we mentioned before and, and, and reaching out to, to their mothers. Uh, what was that process like and how was it getting the opportunity to to speak to some of those mothers about their kids? Well, actually, uh, the high profile mothers, I had a lot of help reaching out to them. And I have to thank again, Nathan Parrott was actually the person who got me in touch with uh, the first two, Terry Konechny and, and Kristen Krause. And Nathan used to play for several NHL teams and, and played in the um, AHL. And uh, he played for the Leafs. And he his oldest son was training with um a couple of the boys so that was my start and then I just started contacting people I knew to try to reach out to other people Kelly McDavid actually she was doing a um campaign at the time with Fabrice and they their publicist reached out to do a campaign with me uh through my website and the Facebook community and I I knew I had to play my cards right. And I think uh, I think that she is such a gracious person. And we we did an interview around that campaign. And then I asked if I could speak with her after. And um, she trusted me enough after that, I guess, to say yes. So I actually did that interview, I think, in 2018. So when, when you're interviewing Connor McDavid's mom, um, when you go into an interview like that, I guess, like, I'm assuming that the McDavid family would be very guarded about, you know, like... Your son is a generational superstar, right? And and as such, mm-hmm. you you probably are a little bit leery about people knowing too much about you know the inner workings of your family and things like that. So yeah, like you know, what was that process like interviewing uh, Connor's Connor's mom? Well, I think I first of all, I think that being a hockey fan helped. So I was able to talk about. I actually had um, my kids at. Um, the first, we bought the tickets, the Sens tickets. Uh, actually, I had, think we had my parents' seats as tickets at the time for that game um, when he came back from his collarbone injury. So that was the first time I got to see him uh, play. And I am I used to be a figure skater, so I especially appreciate excellent skaters, and he kind of blew my mind. So uh, when I was able to talk to her about what fans we were and how amazing it was, and I, I'm, I meant that, um, being genuine about, what a thrill it is to see someone like that on ice. And I meant that. Uh, And also just reassuring that this is not out to get anyone. We're not trying to expose anyone. We're really just trying to make some space for women. So I think um, she understood that. And I think that probably helped. Is there a a story among all the ones you've compiled that touches or has touched you the most? 
Oh my goodness. I will have to say that I, I think that it was really important that we did this over the pandemic. So we were all isolated at the time. And so for me, I'm actually alone a week at a time when my kids aren't here. And these women were really a connection for me through that time. When I look back on it now, I, I wouldn't really have said that then, but there were so many um, stories that moved me uh, and them too. And we didn't have any hockey, so it was great to talk about it. But one in particular, uh, Motorcycle Marge, she, we talked to her and two of her daughters, uh, one of her daughter alone, um, Brenda, and then we talked to Marge and Teresa together. And she's a woman from Southern Manitoba and her, she lived on a farm with her six kids. Her husband left her with six kids. Um, she, when the youngest was one year old and she ended up uh, playing with all five of her daughters and, and they were the first female broadcast um, game in North America. I mean, I believe on radio, I think it's documented. So to hear her and she was on um, older and with her daughters talking about what that was and how hard it was growing up and what it felt like to, she started at forward. She said, I was pretty fast. And then I got slower and I played defense. And then I ended up um, uh, playing in net. That was a pretty powerful story. And she actually passed away while we were writing the book. So when I think back about um, those things, that was, that was a special one for me. And, you know, just before we, we, we wrap up with you, I know that, uh, you know, Bobby Ryan had a very special bond with his mom who passed away a few years ago and Bobby wrote the foreword for your book. And I'm wondering what that does to kind of set the tone for the chapters that follow getting somebody like Bobby Ryan to talk about his mom um, in, 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 in the opening of your book. Oh my gosh. He was, um, he was so fantastic when we talked to him. And I think the feedback that I have from all the moms is um, well, I started, I read the foreword and I started crying. So if the rest of the book's like that, I'm not really sure what I'm in for. Um, he was just really special to share that um, story with him. And what I said to him is that we all hope that um, our children talk about us the way that he talks about his mother. Yeah, well, that's well said. And look, um, we really appreciate you dropping by because, uh, you know, for us, uh, th this is a great, this is a great, you know, we wanted to alert hockey fans to um, a great book with, with, with some great stories. And like you said, Bobby Ryan's forward probably – uh, sets the tone for uh, some emotional stories to follow, but um, you know there's there's some great stories in there. I know Chantal Kachuk, the Kachuk family is one of the best families going there. So um, you know for for you to be able to get them, I'm I'm looking forward to to, to getting around to reading it. We want to you know remind our listeners, hey, the book is Hockey Moms, and you know in Canada it's Chapters Indigo or uh, Amazon. You can uh, you can get it there. Same thing with I'm sure with the American listeners, you can just. Uh, order it off of uh, off of Amazon. So Teresa, we really appreciate you taking a few minutes to, to chat about the book project and uh, and uh, uh, we wish you the best of luck with uh, with the sales here moving into into Christmas. Thanks so much for having me. All right, let's wrap up the show Julian like we always do on on Mondays. We got a little let's do a little multiple choice here. Um okay, a little multiple choice madness on a Monday. I I'm looking at this day. I wake up on Monday. And there's four. I'm gonna I'm gonna list off four teams, Julian, that are currently in the top ten of the standings in the NHL. That I think if you go back to like a month ago from now, you'd be like, I don't think these four teams. I don't think a lot of people would put these four teams in their top ten. Okay, so I'm gonna ask you this: Multiple Choice Madness Monday. Which team that's currently in the top ten of the NHL standings, Julian, has the best chance of staying there? In the next few months, and by the end of the year, by game 82, they'll still be in the top 10. Is it A, the New Jersey Devils, 
B, the Los Angeles Kings, C, the Winnipeg Jets, or D, the New York Islanders? I'm, I don't know about you. I'm surprised that all four of them are in the top 10. Like if you go back to where we were a month ago. My pick is the Winnipeg Jets because I don't, I, I've, I just, I see something in this core. I've seen something in this core for so, for a couple of years. And it seems like, at least with the way that they've started, they're starting to realize that potential. And also the fact that this is a team that in the office, that just before the season started, decided to take off the C off of Blake Wheeler. And Blake Wheeler seems to be doing okay with the fact that he's living without the C in, in Winnipeg. I mean, as we're recording, I believe they're they're still atop the, the central division. They're off to a good start. Rick Bonus has taken over and he's getting them to play at their getting them to play well. Uh Connor Hellebuck is having a good start to his year with a goalie with a with a goals against average just a little over two. Uh and a and a safe percentage in the nine thirties. Like he's off to a really good start. Uh, it's on them to maintain it, but I, I I think the Winnipeg Jets might be that team. I, I remember talking to, to Nate Schmidt uh, over the weekend just about the captain thing, and it seems as if like you know that kind of did take a little bit of pressure off of of Blake Wheeler, and he and he noted about how well everyone else seems to be responding to that, right? Like it it, it and then maybe because that's a whole other discussion about captains and all that, but it seems like just with the changing coach. Uh, a, a change in in leadership style where it's not necessarily pressured onto one person. It seems like it's it's working for this Winnipeg Jets team, uh, a team with again with 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 players who have gone through playoff runs before. And if Connor Hellebuck stands on top of his head, like look, no disrespect to to the Islanders and and the Kings and and the Devils, but Connor Hellebuck, I'm taking him over all of their goalies, and that includes Elias Rorkin, who's doing pretty decent in, in New York right now. I'm gonna pick the Winnipeg Jets. Man, you know what? I'm torn. I, I give me New Jersey. I Julian, I think I'm a believer in them. Like, wow, they're just rolling teams right now, and and they're doing it with bad goaltending. So I'm thinking, like, yeah, at some point they're gonna get better goal if they get better goaltending, and they're playing like this. Like, uh, this is this is really impressive. Like, they are a really impressive team. What I like about the Devils, I feel like in the last 18 months they've really addressed their their blue line. You know, Dougie Hamilton. And then Ryan Graves, and then John Marino, and it's like all of a sudden you're like, wow, that, that, that's a pretty good back end. You add Damon Severson to the mix, and then uh, you know Nico Heischer. I think Jesper Bratt has been dynamite this year. Uh, Hughes, uh, when he's healthy, feels like he's a point of game guy, and all of a sudden you're like, oh man, like the New Jersey Devils, like this feels sustainable to me. This doesn't, it doesn't feel like smoke and mirrors to me. So. I'm going to take the Devils. I think by the end of the year, I think the Devils might be a team that could potentially fight for first place in their division and certainly be in kind of firmly inside the top 10 in in my estimation, you know? Got to say, man. Yeah, no, but uh, yeah, the, the Devils deserve some love, man. Again, they're not just the players that they have, but just how quick they are. Just It's cool to see a team with that young talent, even if their goaltending could be a little bit better, uh, go off to the start that they're on. That too is another team that started off a bit rocky, uh, to start off the year with some, some with some uh, tumultuous uh, things going on, or at least with the way that they were playing. Well, they were zero and two. In fact, that takes us right to our Jack Adams of the Week award that we do on the Monday edition of the podcast. Because when the Devils were zero and two, they lost their first two games on the road, and they went to their home opener. They were like, "And now here's your coach, Lindy Ruff," and everyone's like, "Boo!" Right? Boo. And, and guess what? 
The Devils have just ruled off whatever it is, nine wins in a row. So as we talk about Jack Adams' uh, candidates of the week, who did the best job of coaching in the last seven days, I'm going to give you a couple of candidates here. I, obviously, Lindy Ruff in New Jersey, they continue to roll. Todd McClellan, uh, LA's won four in a row. Uh, and, and you know, I, I, I'm not sure everyone knew exactly what the Kings were, but they're sitting there with a pretty good record. Uh, Jim Montgomery in Boston, again, uh, <laughs> is on this list. And I think my vote this week, though, Julian, goes for Marty St. Louis in Montreal. The Canadians wow. are overachieving, man, with a capital they O. They beat the Penguins in overtime on Saturday. Um, they, they're on a three-game winning streak at a time in which I think a lot of people thought they'd be hanging with Arizona and who, you know whoever else you want to put at the bottom of the standings. They're holding on to a wild card spot. They, it seems to me like they love playing for Marty St. Louis. And I, I got to tell you right now, like he's got to be in the mix for the you know most surprising coaching job so far. Three wins in a row, give him that he gets my vote for the week. So yeah, I'll I'll add this too. Like yeah, like ever since uh, he was hired uh, in Montreal, like I, I, the players back then, at least last year, I think they liked playing for him because he at that point the season was lost and he was just going to let those guys play a little bit more. Maybe not more free, but definitely more offensive-minded. And a guy like Cole Caulfield is obviously benefiting. And for this year, where the expectations are once again low, and you're just letting those young players play, and remember they're, 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 they've been battling some injuries too, right? Like this is pretty this is pretty interesting that they've been able to reel off the wins that they've been able to get. Uh, but yeah, Martin Saint Louis, the fact that he's been able to to get the team in the position that they're in. Really surprising. Good time to be a, a head coach in any sport that has no prior NHL coaching experience at this point between him and Jeff Saturday. But Seriously. I will give my vote to Lindy Ruff this week. You mentioned the fact that he got booed to start off the year. You missed something very important in that. Those same New Jersey fans chanted, sorry, Lindy. They apologized in light of them being so bad and now turning into a really good team. Uh, there was a video going around. Uh, from Ryan Novazinski, a uh, local beat writer in New Jersey, and he caught video of fans chanting, sorry, Lindy, uh, as they were playing a game over the last few days. Like, it's one thing to just boo your head coach and be like, ah, you suck. It's a whole other thing for them to be like, hey, sorry, we we dumped on you. That enough is 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 worthy of the Jack Adams uh, weekly award for me, for, for Lindy Ruff. Man. You know what? Maybe okay. You know what? You just might be a tie. You changed my vote. You changed my vote. You changed my oh, vote because of up. the because of the sorry Lindy chant. You never see a fan base apologize and be like, "Well, my bad." You never see that. Never. Go ahead. Mark him down, Lindy Ruff. Man, uh, can you imagine like uh, like like Toronto? If yeah. like Sheldon sorry, Keith- Dubis. Yeah, I can't see it. Sorry, Chief Keith. Like, that's never going to happen. No. You know what? You did it. You did it. (laughs) You you convinced me. I was going Marty St. Louis all the way. You tipped the scales uh, to to Lindy Ruff. All right. Tell you what. Why don't we leave it there? This has been a really fun uh, Monday edition of the pod. We want to thank everybody for listening. For the Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show, please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a rating and review. We appreciate that. We love all the feedback. Don't just save it for the Tuesday boys. Okay, We, we read all the feedback. Hit us up. Tell us what you like, what you'd like to see in future episodes. Um, we also have a YouTube page going right now. And you can follow us there at uh, youtube.com slash the Athletic 
hockey show. Uh, as well, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a dollar a month for six months. Visit theathletic.com slash hockey show.